Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is breaking down the NBA drafts, winners and losers. So we're going to talk about the winners and losers of this draft. We're also going to give some teams a grade based on their draft selections. And we're also going to talk about some pretty big trades that happened on draft night. But to help us break this down, we have two first-time guests here on the Hoop Talk podcast. So please welcome from Baller Island, Jay Sahoda and Bilal Alahi. Thank you very much for having us. Thanks for having us, boys. Yes, sir. So, Jay and Bilal, tell us a little bit about the Baller Island podcast. Uh, B, you want to go first? No, I'll go after. Man, we started up around uh, college basketball season. Me and Jay are two big-time college basketball guys as well. And uh, this mock draft, NBA draft stuff, we've been following since we started the podcast. So we're ready to get it going. Yeah, no, we got started in March. Uh, we got started with March Madness. Yeah, like B said, both heavy college ball guys, NBA guys, NFL. So majority of our content is a lot of basketball and football. But, yeah, this draft was crazy, and uh, looking forward to getting into it. And there's definitely a lot to break down with this draft. So on that note, I'm going to hand the floor over to Jalen. He has some questions for us, so Jalen, take it away. Yeah, fellas, so I've kept up with you guys' podcast for a little bit because I understand that you guys got in the mix right around when basketball in college was at its peak, when every prospect was probably at their height when we're talking about where they were across draft boards, probably up until, you know, combine workouts and stuff like that. But in terms of live action, we all know that March Madness is where the real ball is played. So considering everything that you saw, every report that you've seen up until this point, all of the different film that you guys have seen leading up to the draft and then just draft night in general, taking in, you know, everything that you know about all the prospects on the board. Uh, Jai, we'll start with you, my, my guy. Um, what are your initial thoughts or reactions to everything that happened in the 2021 NBA draft? Because I felt like there was a lot of an- unanticipated selections Four was the, was the monkey wrench, right? Once we got to Toronto, everything got really hectic really quickly, and it didn't seem to slow down in terms of where guys were getting picked and what teams were picking them. So what are your initial reactions to the draft after seeing pretty much all the craziness go down? Yeah, no no doubt. This was just wild. I think for me, prior to when Bilal and I were talking about the draft on the preview, I think we were both surprised how far up Scotty Barnes rised in the mocks. Because before he was between 6 and 10, now all of a sudden <clears throat> you saw him going to Toronto at 4 and the Raptors were interested in him. But obviously, you know, me being from Toronto, knowing what Masai Ujiri is all about, I wasn't totally surprised by the Scotty Barnes pick. Obviously, passing on Jill and Suggs, yeah, that was definitely quite something. Um, but I wasn't totally surprised with that, as a lot of people you know, might have been surprised by it as well. But the other one, I think Jalen Green going to two, I think only maybe this week or last week, rather. I think a lot of us started thinking that Houston was going to take him at two, but all the time before that, it was Evan Mobley and Cade Cunningham going two and one. So that's another one. And then I guess, you know, we're going to get into the rest of it, but Giddy going at six, Kaminga dropping to seven, Davion Mitchell at nine. It was just all hell broke loose after that. 
Yeah, and Bilal, I think the biggest thing, I think, uh, Josh said it best is once we got like to Golden State, that's when, that's when I think all bets were off anyway, right? Because the fact that they had two lottery picks to begin with, we went, based on what they did, it was supposed to give us some kind of insight of what their philosophy was. And I think once we got out of the lottery, we were starting to get a kind of an understanding of what every team was aiming for moving forward going into the season, especially knowing now that the play-in tournament is motivating a lot of teams to want to be win now. So based on what you saw from draft night, what are some of your initial reactions? Exactly what you guys been saying, man. All hell broke loose. Um, after the first three picks kind of went chalk from what I was seeing. And then Scotty Barnes, a little bit of a surprise, but not nothing too crazy. And then Giddy, you know, Zaire Williams, Josh Primo. Then it's just like there's not a single person that could have predicted what this draft night was. It was it was as crazy as advertised. Yeah, so, Ryan, I think to kind of round out the initial thoughts aspect of it, um, we did a sit-down with uh, – with the homies the other day talking about Ian Evans and Brooks, uh, Brooks Warren on the, the impact podcast. And we did a little bit of a, you know, a, a draft grade. It's kind of like we're doing today. And one of the big themes was that, uh, you know, a lot of these teams were relatively unconventional in terms of their approach. Um, what are some of your initial reactions from the draft when taken in consideration that there were a couple of moves that I think where we can't grade right off draft night. Like the fact that there were a lot of moves that are going to take a little bit of percolation before we can actually identify the benefit of the pick. Kuminga is a perfect representation of that being taken at seven. Was it simply BPA or does Golden State think he can actually, you know, provide things like that? So what were, what were some of your initial reactions taking that kind of stuff into consideration? I thought the draft was great. I love the unpredictability of it, which is one of the reasons why I always enjoy watching the NBA draft. In terms of our big board, I think Jalen may have mentioned this off the air. We were looking really good after the first three picks, and then Toronto took Sky Barnes at four, and that kind of threw like that first wrench into our plans. And the pick really didn't surprise me as much, but there were definitely other picks that I thought were surprises. Like, Bilal said with Josh Primo going at 12, I thought that was a huge surprise because he was someone I saw on many mock drafts as a player who was going in the late first round, early second round. And then you also saw guys like Joel Ayayi, Matthew Hurt going undrafted in the NBA draft. And those were two guys that had the potential of being second round picks. So I thought that this was definitely a very interesting draft to say the least. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the biggest things that stands out is that, like, when you look at this draft, clearly upside is the game, right? When you talk about the, this draft, um, I think there was the, there was some comment. I'm not necessarily not sure how much I uh, take it to heart, but I think Jay Billis is quoted for saying that this is one of the deepest drafts and a significant yeah. amount of time. The yeah. draft class he compared it to is one I'm going to leave alone. <laughs> that's, that's just, you know, my personal feel on that. I think he might have dug a little deep in terms of that. But I definitely agree with him from a talent pool standpoint. Talk about a guy like B.J. Boston. He was a guy mocked mm-hmm. lottery like from day, from day one of the college basketball season. He was somewhere in that top 14 mix. To take a dip all the way down to the second round, that just goes to tell you just how significant, you know, obviously the college basketball season has on a guy's draft stock, but also I think could be a good indication of just where the league is headed moving forward in terms of the fact that 
they are looking for day one guys to be able to come out and kill early. And yes, it's going to cause you to take a couple of flyers in the second round if you got them. But in the first round in particular, we saw a lot of guys, uh, Deuce McBride, Miles McBride out of West Virginia, for example, was a guy who slowly started rising up boards throughout workouts and stuff. And he wasn't really a guy who was crazy on everybody's radar early on. And I, I think he's going to be an interesting fit. Um, in the NBA and, and there's a couple other guys that fall into that, into that range. But, um, rather than just kind of talking about these prospects, you know, in, in separation, let's kind of look at all the teams as a whole. And, uh, John, I'm going to start with you, my guy. Let's kind of like start handing out some winners and losers for this NBA draft and let's start positive, right? Let's, let's go through the winners bracket first. Who is somebody that, uh, came out of this draft, whether it's a play, you could say a, even a player is a winner if you think that it's just simply a good fit, but, Player organization, uh, just maybe what to what where they were picked. Who is a winner in this NBA draft? Yeah, absolutely. I think I'm not gonna. I think we all kind of have a similar feeling of who we think are gonna go winners here. But I'm gonna go a little off the board here and go with Detroit. I think yes, yeah, sure. We all knew they were gonna get Cade at number one. But looking at what they did in the second round is what really intrigued me, knowing that they got JT Thor, Isaiah Livers. And Luca Garza, a guy that not a lot of us even thought he was going to get drafted, even though he had an absolutely marvelous career at Iowa. You know, not a lot of people thought maybe the NBA game might have been too fast for him. And there he ends up getting picked in the late second round. And then you're thinking about it, right? Obviously, like, you know, all of us here watch college ball and we look at it and you're like, man, Cade, Isaiah Livers and Luca Garza, those are three fantastic players that were all, you know, very, really good at their respective schools, and now they were all on the same team. That is something that I look at and I say, I think Detroit did a really nice job there. Yeah, and I, I, I think people sleep on the idea of picking Detroit as a winner just because they feel like the obvious bail, the headline of your answer is they got Kate. Mission Absolutely. complete. And I think that that's so short-sighted, right? Because like you said beforehand, Isaiah Livers, solid at Michigan, solid. And I think he could have been a huge contributor, um, a, a, a better contributor down the line of, for Michigan in terms of their postseason run. Absolutely. Luka Garza is a guy that I – Ryan knows it's a little well documented. I'm not the highest on Luca Garza's tra- like translation. I think that the Pistons gives him an intriguing way to kind of ingratiate himself into NBA basketball though, because he's gonna he's gonna be a second unit energy guy, and I think that the Pistons can actually get away with that. And I I think there's certain situations where I don't think that he would fit, especially because everybody talks about the defense, right? But I think with Detroit, I don't think that's the issue they have I mean they have crazy wing play when you talk about Jeremy Grant Sadiq Bay they just got Kay Cunningham as well I think Isaiah Livers obviously helps to play to that point as well so I think they're now in a little bit of a position where a guy like Luka Garza might actually fit their team relatively well and it kind of sticks with their uh blue chip prospect philosophy that they went through last year Killian Hayes was their only real like wild card selection in terms of you talk about last year's draft. And even that one made sense because the, the the idea was to get a guy who's a facilitating point guard. I think you get a guy in Kay Cunningham who can act, actually maybe uh, further maximize a guy like Killian Hayes, and this team kind of fills out. But uh, who's somebody who you feel like came out as a winner coming off of draft night? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go against the grain here, too. I'm going to go with uh, – I'm going to go with Brooklyn. I like – 
Cam Thomas was one of my favorite players in this draft. And as if Brooklyn needed any more shooting and scoring than they already have. But Cam Thomas, I picture him coming off the bench and, you know, just coming like in a Jordan Clarkson kind of role. And the fact that he fell to 27 was like ridiculous to me. And then they made the trade that got my other boy, Daron Sharp, at 29 to Brooklyn. And that's exactly everything they needed. They needed somebody who can protect the rim, beast on the offensive glass. You know, I think uh, DeAndre Jordan's going to leave in free agency now. So now you get younger, more athletic, super high motor, and De'Ron Sharp. So two of my favorite players in the draft going to Brooklyn at the end of the first round is a huge dub to me. Yeah, Ken Thomas, Buckets is okay, bro. Complete problem. Complete problem offensively is going to be an issue. And I think as a second unit guy, like you said beforehand, as if they needed more buckets, you decide to go ahead and, and do that. But I think something interesting, too, in the second round, I mean, you talk about Daron Sharp. He's a guy who they, they're saying is going to shoot it. And I think that's going to be really interesting because he's yeah. cutting weight. If he if yeah. he can shoot it, he's already a pretty physical guy down low. They also got, oh, my God, Kessler Edwards out of Pepperdine. Uh, mid-major represented rel- relatively well in this NBA draft. Look at Marcus Zigorowski, who I think they ended up uh, yeah. picking up as yeah. well. That one, I think, is huge from a veteran point guard standpoint. I think that's going to be one of those things that they really have to take a look at because depth-wise, they – it was rough in the playoffs. I'm pretty sure we're all aware. Come, come playoff time, they were playing on their hind legs quite literally, and I think that this kind of draft gave them the perfect chance to address that depth but do it in a in a relatively cheap way, which you have to do when you got three max guys on your on your roster. Um, Ryan, who who is another uh, team that you have as a winner? So far we've got um, two really, really solid ones. Yeah, so this is one that I've seen in a lot of articles as being both a winner and a loser. But I look at this team as a winner. I'm going to say Golden State. They had two great picks at 7-14 and 14 by getting Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody. Kaminga has a lot of defensive potential coming out of the G League, and I think he will add to the Golden State Warriors front court depth. He has his struggle shooting, but when you're playing with one of the greatest shooters of all time in Steph Curry – I feel like he'll be able to improve on that, and there's definitely a lot of room for him to grow. Looking at Moses Moody, he's a solid shooter and a great on-ball defender. He's a player that has that capability of starting alongside Steph in some games, and this is a player that has a very high ceiling. I'm going to be honest, I'm almost surprised that he fell as far as 14, even though we correctly predicted that he would fall at 14 in our mock draft, but still, I thought that was a huge surprise. Yeah, Golden State is a polarizing one. That's one of those that depending on what camp you work with, it's one of those where you can view them as, what the heck are you doing right now? You doubled up on the same position and you didn't really address any win now aspects of your team. Or there's the part of you that said you took a swing on upside and a guy like Jonathan Kaminga who could blow up into a superstar, something that they already, you know, have done in the past, talking about James Wiseman who they're still a little low on, but working out the kinks. And then talking about a guy like Moses Moody, who might not be like an insane day one starter, but can definitely give them some solid minutes. So it depends on what camp you're on. Um, fellas, I'm going to go with the Clippers um, as my like out-of-the-box one because the Clippers made some really intriguing plays as a team that is going to be really interesting next year considering that Kawhi Leonard is more than likely not going to play. Um, there is this whole thing go- taking place that he's more than likely going to re-sign with the Clippers, but he's hearing offers. 
that sounds like he's got at least a pinky toe out of the door, so we might have to monitor that one. But in terms of what they did in the draft, B.J. Boston, like I mentioned him earlier, was a guy who was mocked extremely high early in the process. I think playing for a young Kentucky team that didn't get a lot of time to gel, a, a team that was kind of just all the way around a little imbalanced, especially considering that they didn't have, like, crazy elite point guard play, something we're definitely not used to when we're talking about Kentucky. The lineage is just ridiculous. I don't think I have to go through the names. You can look them up yourself. But I think that grabbing a guy like that in the second round is huge. Jason Preston, the homie, um, I think that that's going to be a really interesting player for this team as a shot creator for them. And then Keon Johnson, too. I think that was like a sneaky one. I mean, you could argue he might be the best athlete in the draft. It, it was odd that after posting a record, you know, high jump in the uh, in the combine that he actually decided, like, I guess people decided to fall on him. I don't know what, what hyper-athleticism scared teams away for, but, I mean, by all means, it's the Clippers game. So I think that uh, the Clippers had a really interesting night. Uh, John, let's get a little, let's get a little Debbie Downer now. Let's, let's, let's be some haters for a second. Um, who do you feel like was a loser, um, coming off of NBA draft night? Honestly, I think I'll go with one, and that's, I'll say Sacramento, a team that hasn't really done well, haven't had a lot of success, period. And, and now their pick was, I'm not going to say this was a loser. Davion Mitchell is just an exceptional player. But then you got Halliburton and De'Aaron Fox. So you're like, how is that, you know, kind of going to mix? So I'll say, I'll leave Sacramento there, but my, my actual loser out of the whole draft didn't even actually have a pick in the entire draft, and that's Minnesota. This is a team that has been absolute garbage for God knows how long. They've had one winning season since 2005. They got two guys who you can build around, and we saw what Anthony Edwards did last year. I'll be honest, I didn't think he was going to pop off the way that he did. He looked really good. Then you got Cat. I think as B and I talked about this early on in the season, you know, Cat's been going through some things the last two years, but I know as time goes on, once he figures that out, he'll slowly get back to his normal self. They really could have used a draft pick. And like we've been talking about how deep this class has been, I don't know, maybe they're, maybe they'll sign someone, you know, who didn't get drafted as an undrafted free agent, but man, they really, really could have. And as we saw, Jonathan Kaminga fell to seven. That could have been their pick. And they lost out on that. So I'm going to say the, the Timberwolves, and, man, that's a, a real, real tough to be a Timberwolves fan. I think your uh, your statement on Jonathan Kaminga is probably the most glaring thing when you talk about Minnesota because a talent like that, uh, I know you guys heard the rubblings. It was there all year. This is a five-player draft. Jonathan Kaminga is probably number five, but the upside is like Jalen Brown translation. Like we've heard – all of it, you know what I mean? For a guy like that to fall to seven, knowing that the Timberwolves need wing help, right? Desperately, desperately need help on the wing. It just goes it go, goes to have you reflect a little bit in terms of what their circumstances are. And, I, I mean, I'm hoping that D-Low trade uh, turns out well for them. Um, I continue to see him as a trade chip potentially for Ben Simmons still kind of wondering how that whole thing's going to work out I can see certain circumstances where it fits but Philly wants a king's ransom and I'm pretty sure your deal starting with D'Angelo Russell is not what they were looking for so considering what they gave up to get a guy like that who's coming off as a bench point guard for you guys for, for them right now uh too which is interesting 
Yeah, for them to not have a draft pick in this deep of a draft, not even a second round pick where you can get yeah. away with like a Jason Preston at point guard if you needed another guy who could be a little versatile. There were a handful of wings that, you know, we could have seen. I thought Kessler Edwards was an interesting like three, four guy who uh win the second round. But yeah, that that's definitely tough. I agree that them not having a pick is it's not gonna look great moving forward. Bilal, how um, how about you? Another loser um coming off of NBA draft night. Man, Jay, you could have said Minnesota's been a loser for the last 10 years and anything <laughs> they've done. But you had to pick on them here. But my loser, I'm actually, I'm going to go with the Spurs. They, they're the team that's never, ever the loser in any scenario. But I, I can't wrap my head around this Josh Primo pick. Like every time I'm like, maybe the Spurs know something I don't. Maybe they saw something I don't. I go back, I look at the highlights. I mean, he has moments where he's like glaringly like he's bouncy, he can shoot, he does every like he can do a little bit of everything, but he just lacks like basketball, like, you know, where to be on the floor, where to move the ball, when to not jack up a three, just like little things like that. That's like so against Spurs culture. I can't believe that they would go with Josh Primo, especially if they if they wanted to, they could have traded back into like late first round, maybe early second round and grabbed him if that was really their guy. But to take him at 12, I don't even understand it. You, I heard a rumbling after after the draft that one of someone in the SEC was like, he's the 20th best player in the SEC, not even the draft, 20th best player in the SEC. So for a guy like that to go in the lottery at 12, I'm trying. I'm trying to give San Antonio the benefit of the doubt, but right now I just don't. I just don't see it. Yeah, and San Antonio is tricky because you know they're one of those teams where you're like, ah, maybe we should let this play out first. You know, yeah, you like yeah. look at them and you're almost like, okay, maybe maybe they're trying to trick us. Maybe like you said before, maybe there's something that they know that we don't. You know, one of the most intriguing things I think for San Antonio had to be 38% from three. This is a team that was horrible horrible in the three-point shooting department, which I guess you could say is expected if you have DeMar DeRozan as your lead, you know, shot creator. He's not really one of those guys that likes to float beyond the arc. But still, this is a team that lacks shooting significantly. Um, I think the Josh Primo pick just goes to tell me that some of the rumblings in regards to San Antonio's backcourt potentially being on the move, so to speak, um, in potential trade talks is something we might need to start giving a little bit more validation to um I think DeJounte Murray is still like a is still like an untouchable for them but I think get things get a little tricky once you start leaning into like the Keldon Johnsons the Lonnie Walkers like once you start getting into like what do you think their future may be I think this Josh Fremo pick might give us a little indication as to what might be brewing behind the scenes um Ryan who do you have as a as a loser in this draft so it's not a player and it's not a team. I, th- I think this is a very interesting one. The loser's television. I think it's very interesting because when you watch the NBA draft, like I mentioned earlier, you watch it for the unpredictability. I know it's part of Woj's job, and I know it's part of Shams's job to break news and give us that inside that NBA fans don't know. But to say, sources say, and then the pick, especially on draft night, just kind of takes the fun out of it. I definitely want to get your your opinions on this as well, Jay and Bilal, because I think that with the rise of Twitter and the, with the rise of guys like Woj and Shams and the, and the sort of credibility that they have, 
I feel like the NBA draft experience will have to change going forward. I'll start with Jay. What, what do you think about that? Oh, that, well, first off, I mean, that's a great point that you made because it's funny. Earlier in that day on draft day, when I started getting the notification saying, oh, Kate Cunningham is definitely going number one, which we all knew anyways. And then they're like, oh, Jalen Green's going too. And I'm like, okay, like, you know, can we wait till eight o'clock until the draft you know, goes out? I had to turn off my notification on Bleacher Report, man. I'm like, this is like, I want to, I want to know. And then of course, like we've already talked about, you know, thanks to the Raptors, everything kind of became a lot more unpredictable and the fun of the draft really came out. But Ryan, that's a really just an unbelievable point because you're right with things on Twitter and all this stuff, like sources say stuff, it really does take the fun out of an event like the draft where, you know, you want to know who's going to pick and you want that excitement leading up to it. So it totally takes it away. The trade stuff, Woj, that's your thing. Do that. But draft picks, man, don't, don't do that. I, I don't like that. Or maybe, maybe it's the teams that need to keep it more on the down low, right? Maybe they got to keep it locked up and not tell anyone. But I don't know. That's my take on there. That's a great point, though. Yeah, no, I, I agree that I noticed it last year's draft and it was just like leaked before every pick. And I'm like, this is not what the draft's supposed to be. The, the players are waiting there. They're trying to see where they're going to go. They don't know their future and then it just gets spoiled by their phones i just i don't really know what a fix is either i don't know maybe adam silver tells woj and shanjo take the night off don't do anything don't ruin the draft i don't really know what a fix is there and then not even that i thought perkins was awful he's talking about <laughs> he well he's stuttering he doesn't know who he's talking about and then he's talking Moses about Moody. dudes that are already traded like he was talking about guys that the pick was already moved. He's comparing guys to Bill Russell, left, right, and center. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. It was the whole draft was. It got saved by a talented class, though. Yeah, I think the talented class definitely saved this draft, and I think the experience Adam Silver will have to decide. Okay, how can we, how can we keep the unpredictability in this draft? Bilal, you made an interesting point. I think Adam Silver has to kind of pull them aside and say. You guys should take the night off. We we really want to keep the unpredictability for this draft. So I think you guys made some very interesting points. Yeah, I think uh, the panel is all correct about this uh, in a lot of different fronts. Obviously, the unpredictability of the draft is one of the biggest draws to the NBA draft. It's why it's one of the most anticipated events of the NBA season. Um, and for it to be spoiled like that is one of those things that I think has been you know, ball. you said it about last season. It's been one of those things that people have complained about for a while now. Um, and it's not getting any better because it went from like a minute before the pick is put in to like, like John said earlier. I mean, they were basically telling us the top three picks were locked in at like 12 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm like, okay, at this point, like you, you just want to host it via Zoom. Like we can get this rocked out like real quick if you just want to get it out the way. Um, Bala, uh, I think you made an excellent point about Kendrick Perkins. I'm not going to go into this like too in depth because we're going to try to keep it more basketball oriented, but guys like Mike Schmitz, guys like Jonathan Cavoni, dudes who do this draft stuff for a living, keep it in their wheelhouse, bro. I, I think, I think yeah. when you start grabbing, when you start grabbing guys who have only seen these prospects on TV or in the short YouTube clips, it starts to get tricky on letting them really break down their game and how they'll translate to the next level. So 
you know, Moses Moody aside, I think a lot of the other things that took place when it comes to, you know, the breakdowns is something that definitely needs to be improved on. I love the incorporation of players being allowed to commentate on a sport they once played. I just think that at the end of the day, there's there's draft experts that do this year round. This guy's already starting the 2022 draft. Like, let, let them get in their bag. Let them stay in their bag. Um Ryan, I thought that was an excellent point. We definitely did dive into that a little bit on the Impact Podcast as well. If you guys want to give that a listen um, with the homie Ian Evans, we did talk about this a little bit there as well. Um, Talking about losers for me, um, this is another one where I want to get the panel's, you know, viewpoint on it because I think it's tricky, but I think it's Cleveland. And I don't necessarily think it's the pick of Evan Mobley that has me concerned about them in in terms of them being losers i think it's what they do after because um i'm getting a little bit of thought watched a little bit more film since and kind of given a couple of different draft experts a listen since the draft pick was made and i have concerns about his fit next to um a guy like jared allen i i'm kind of confused as the terms to what they plan on doing moving forward with Jared Allen. When you talk about their front court area, you're talking about Kevin Love, Larry Nance Jr., potentially Jared Allen, and then you talk about Evan Mobley. They're going to have like 50-plus mil wrapped up in a center position. Um, The NBA is not bad anymore. Um, No offense to any of these rim-running centers. That's still what their elite skill that makes them, you know, a, a very high commodity in the league. I think the center position is viewed very similar to the running back position in the NFL. A lot of teams pretended like it was one of those fizzled out positions that you could just draft a guy every year and get high productivity straight out of college, only to find out that it's a position that is relatively necessary to win games. I think that the center position and the running back position are very parallel between the NBA and the NFL. But between that and like the the trade of acquiring Ricky Rubio, which we'll talk about a little bit later on, I'm just not sure what Cleveland is doing, like moving forward. Like it seemed like Evan Mobley itself was the pick and I'm I can't condemn it, but it it only sheds further light as to not being sure what they plan on doing moving forward, especially with Colin Sexton being in trade talks. So Ryan, I actually start with you on this one. Um, we we talked with Peter Burnett, big Cleveland Cavaliers fan, um, about what he wanted to see from the Cavs, um, this offseason. Obviously, one of the big things was he was talking about getting a veteran presence in there. You do get that done by trading Toreen Prince and acquiring a guy like Ricky Ricky Rubio for the point guard position. And he's going to be relatively interchangeable whether he plays next to Sexton or Garland. So that works out relatively well. But how do you feel about the fit of Evan Mobley next to Jared Allen? Because considering what they traded to acquire Jared Allen, have his bird rights and things like that, you have to assume they're going to throw some money at him. But I'm not sure if he's actually the center that they want playing next to Evan Mobley. But how do you feel about it? Yeah, and I do have a lot of, of the same questions and a lot of the same concerns as you do. I think it's very interesting to see this fit with Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. I think this is this is a pick where we kind of just have to like wait and see what happens. I think Cleveland may have other plans in this in deciding how to use Jared Allen and how to use Evan Mobley. They could use Evan Mobley as more of that lob threat. And then I think also, like, with Jared Allen, they could maybe use him as a defensive anchor 
So I think that there's a chance that they could use both of them in two different roles. I think there's an interesting point, though, in terms of whether or not they keep Colin Sexton on the team. They may throw Jared Allen in a trade package with him. So I feel like that there's a chance that they they have multiple avenues in terms of how they want to go about this front court pairing. Because if Evan Mobley is the center for the future, then Jared Allen most likely will be leaving in free agency. So there's definitely a couple questions that Cleveland has to answer to. Yeah, and below, that's my big thing is that I feel like the pick makes sense. Evan Mobley at three makes sense. Some could argue it's a steal at three. I said it earlier. It was one-two with Cade and Evan for most of the year. Right. So maybe you're getting a steal and an upside pick, a guy who some argued could be a first overall pick in, you know, a different draft. that doesn't have, you know, Cade Cunningham in it, in it. Um, but I just I just have concerns about the fact that since they made their as their big contribution to that Brooklyn blockbuster trade, they pretty much invested in the center position. To be in a situation where now you've drafted a high upside center and now have to make a decision on another one, I think it's tricky. How do you feel about the Evan Mobley, Jared Allen pairing? Do you feel like maybe they need to go another direction at center in terms of some of these other free agent guys that come to mind? I mean, Rashawn Holmes is another one of those big names at the position. Um, just how do you feel about the potential fit or maybe maybe you feel as though it shouldn't be a fit at all and they should go after somebody else? Nah, yeah. I I'm a huge Evan Mobley guy. I think that with his like perimeter skills, he's got so much more to offer than Jared Allen does. I I do agree, I think he would have gone number one in last year's draft or previous drafts, but he's like if I'm picking three and Evan Mobley's still on the board at three, I'm, my mind's not even thinking about Jared Allen. I'm not concerned. I'm like, oh, I'm not passing up on a guy like Evan Mobley because I have Jared Allen. So I'm taking Mobley. I think Ryan mentioned that Jared Allen's a free agent, and I heard rumblings that he wants, you know, 20 mil a year in that ballpark. So if he wants that money, you know, let him walk, maybe do a signing trade. But Evan Mobley's a can't miss at that point, and I'm not concerned about a fit. Evan Mobley's just my guy going forward. Jared Allen's just expendable at this point. Okay, I like that. I like that. So, so here's what we're gonna do. Because I'm gonna take every, I'm gonna take all the hype from Bilal. We're gonna transfer it over to the other Ballers Island member real quick. Put your put your Ballers Island breakdown uh, hat on for me real quick, and tell me about Evan Mobley. If the listeners have never watched Evan Mobley before. What what would you describe Evan Mobley as bringing to the table for Cleveland? If nobody's ever seen him before and you had to put him in perspective for someone. Well, I, I got to let B take this one. He's been okay. high on Mobley the whole time. I'll let him because I think okay, he will have a better e. breakdown. All right, Bilal E. Man, Mobley, you're looking at a guy seven feet, you know, Rim protector, like he reminded me of Anthony Davis, the way he was guarding the rim when he was at Kentucky. You know, freshman of his conference, player of his conference, and defensive player of his conference. Something you don't see from that guy. And he's got ball skills. I think, you know, the reason I liked him over Jalen Green at two was he has more, you know, guard skills that I liked over a guy that was 6'5". You know, he can handle the ball. He can shoot. But he's a really good passer. He knows how to play. He catches the ball on the high post. He can pass it 
you know, lopped out with his brother at, at Stan or at um, USC. He can do everything. I'm I'm completely sold on him, man. And I think the biggest part about him is he can guard the pick and roll. He can guard one through five. And nowadays, I think that's super important. You know, if some the guards coming off the roll and they want that switch, it's not like it's not food. He can he can d up, and I I like that the switch he has on switch ability he has on defense. So, Jared, because I don't want to leave you out of this conversation, Bilal says something that's really interesting to me and I think, you know, could be, you know, relatively interesting looking into the fact that, you know, free agency starts essentially today. You know, nothing is inked until the six, but rumblings start today. Some would argue they started last week, depending on how you feel about tampering. But regardless of the circumstances, one of the things Bilal said was that Jared Allen is expendable at this point. Um, I want to get your take on that because I, I think that's an interesting point out of the fact that I genuinely believe that Jared Allen is overhyped. Um, I don't know. I don't think that's like a hot take by any stretch. Um, I could be going out of limo here, but I think Jared Allen is a guy who's just a normal middle of the run, shot blunting, shot blocking, rim running center. Like, I don't think he does anything that's like out of this world that makes him like a top 10 center in the NBA right now. So Blaw mentioned it before and he's like commanding 20 mil a year. I'm like, okay, hold on. You, you, you want you, I mean, we just recently saw that Clint Capella was getting paid crazy money like that. And his draft package to Atlanta was a box of Cheetos pretty much like, for the most part. So I'm not really sure how Cleveland should feel about that. But how do you feel about Jared Allen on this team? Do you think he actually has a future with this squad? Like, where, what are your takeaways with this? I I don't. And honestly, what you said about Jared Allen, I think is actually true. I'm with you. I think he is slightly overhyped. I think he's a good center, not a great center. I think he only has, you know, as high as a ceiling as you can give him. And it's not that high, right? And so that's why I would probably put him as a good center. I think, yeah, if he's asking for that asking price, yeah, I don't think you're going to get much traction in free agency. But um, back to your point about Allen and Mobley and the situation there, I think the Cavs drafted Mobley because Jared Allen isn't in their future. I've heard mm-hmm. a lot of rumors about Jared Allen, you know, going somewhere else, being linked to different teams. Um, so we'll see what happens there. But I think they drafted Evan Mobley, not just because he was the best player at three, but because they're not going to go with Jared Allen and Evan Mobley has a much higher ceiling. I think, you know, be hit it on the money with, with all the stuff talking about Evan Mobley, very dynamic. I didn't watch him a ton prior to the NCAA tournament, but when I did watch him, he was very, like, I was very impressed with him for a guy who's seven feet tall, the way that he can move. I think he will have more success in the NBA than some people think. So we'll see what happens with Jared Allen, but I don't think he'll end up, staying with Cleveland for much longer yeah I think I think the funny part about Evan Mobley is like he has such an interesting skill set to the point that I think his versatility is probably the biggest draw as a prospect in general but definitely when talking about the center position for Cleveland um Chad Ford for um guys who don't listen to him he does a lot of stuff for the Locked On Podcast um network um, definitely a good listen when it comes to this draft stuff. He argued that he has the kind of ball skills where you could play him as like a, like a 6-10-3 on some KD mess. And I think that if you're talking about that as some kind of upside, that is, that is ridiculous. That is insane. 
And I think it also just goes to show that versatility, which we're in a positionless NBA now. If you can tell me that a guy can play two, three positions, you're starting to bark up my alley in terms of how he'll translate at the next level. So I, I think Evan Mobley is going to be really interesting. And I just hope that Cleveland actually maximizes his potential because yeah. I know they have this, I know they have this guard conundrum stuff taking place right now, but Evan Mobley has so much upside that I don't think you can waste time blowing it worried about your point guard situation. So I just hope that they, you know, I hope they really build upon this. Um, they didn't have much other activity in the draft considering they didn't have crazy picks to go around. Um, but you know, Evan Mobley definitely is, you know, takes the cake. So I have them, I, I have them as a loser, like I said earlier, but it's mainly more about their situation than it was the draft pick. So we'll see what they, uh, what they do. Uh, Jai, we're going to come back to you because we're going to start actually grading some of these picks. And, um, we're going to start with your grade for Orlando. Uh, the, we, for, for people who don't know, Jai is a huge Gonzaga Bulldogs fan and the homie Jalen Suggs fell. So I had to get his perspective on Orlando because I think that Jalen Suggs falling to them is one of those things that you can view as a, as a negative if you look at their current guard situation or a positive if you think about his kind of upside. Um, so I think that they had an overall interesting draft. They did grab uh Philip Petrusev as well later on in that draft, and they picked up a guy in Charles Bassey, Bassey out of Western Kentucky. Going to be an interesting, you know, rim running uh big. I think this is one of those guys who can be a little Mitchell Robinson esque. But uh, Jai, what would you give um the grade for when you talk about um when you talk about Orlando? Damn, there were so many in in draft trades. I didn't even realize Petrushev went to Orlando too. But that no, that's my that's my that's my fault. My fault. That is no, Franz Wagner and Jason Pry. Uh, okay, uh, Franz Wagner. That's my that's on me. I was reading the seventy oh, okay. sixers. Got a little got a little bust out oh, of myself. Okay. Jalen Suggs and Franz Wagner. Those are the two. Yes, sir. <laughs> oh, on podcast uh, uh, breakdown, real quick. Had to had to get myself back there for a hey, second. Nah, all good, all good. I was about to say, I'm like, man, the magic went hard on the Zags. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> But anyways, um, yeah, not the Franz Wagner, uh, Wagner and uh, Jalen Suggs. I think two excellent players. I think Orlando did fantastic. If I had to give a grade, I'd probably say about an A minus. Um, yeah, like you mentioned, I've been watching Suggs all year. Uh, with the Zags, what he did was just phenomenal. The way that he can see the floor, the you know, be called it when we were talking about the draft prior to this, saying he was. I think what would you say he was the best passer in the entire draft? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah, so so if not the best, one of the best. It, and the way you can see the floor, I think, you know, it's great. But again, like you mentioned, the interesting part now is you Orlando has Cole Anthony that took last year, right? And he had an incredible year for Orlando. So now, you know, it'll be very interesting to see how they go about that. They also got Michael Carter-Williams out there too. So it'll be very interesting to see how they manage the point guard position because Jalen Suggs, you know, is the typical floor general type point guard. So It'll be interesting to see how Orlando does that. I feel like that might have been more of a pick where he was the best available and they didn't necessarily think he was going to drop the five. So that could have been the reason why he dropped the five. But, I mean, who knows with that. And then as for Wagner, I guess he joins his brother. I didn't even realize he was on Orlando too. But I guess he gets to do that, so that will be good. But um, him and his brother, both very good, very good in Michigan. Um, I think that was a great pick. Um, I think I, I didn't really expect him to be in the top 10, but again, he's just, he's a great 
player in that regard, and I think Orlando did a heck of a job getting both of them. Yeah, for listeners who caught me lacking, again, I was reading Philly's uh, draft rundown, so that's on me. But uh, Jalen Suggs and Frost Wagner, uh, the two picks in the lottery. Uh, Jai, I think you had a couple of really solid points when you talk about Jalen Suggs um, in terms of just being best available. That one's huge. Um, he does have a couple of positional fits that I think is going to be interesting for Orlando as well. You talk about Cole. There's also R.J. Hampton. He played uh, with R.J. on the uh, U.S. Select team. I think in 2019, I believe. So they have a little bit of chemistry there as well. I think Jalen Suggs is going to be one of those interchangeable guards that can play next to either one of them. I don't see them running a lot of three guard lineups, but it wouldn't necessarily throw me off if maybe they ran that out. Um, I also would argue that I think RJ Hampton has the most upside out of the, out of the guards they currently have on the team outside of Jalen Suggs who they just selected. You look at who they have right now. Markel Fultz, obviously RJ, but you uh, also bring in Cole Anthony and it, it gets dicey. You also mentioned my, Michael Carter. I think that it does get interesting, but Jalen Suggs is a guy we saw at Gonzaga. You put talent around him, and now we maximize the guys around him. He's not going to be a guy who I think we expect to be a 18-plus-a-night point guard, right, on a nightly yeah. basis. But I think he's a guy who's going to float around six assists a night with these kind of guys around him. And he's got athletes around him, too, which I think is huge. A lot of people praise Charlotte's draft for putting a bunch of athletes on the floor around a guy like LaMelo Ball, talking about getting JT Thor via trade, talking about getting um a guy in James Booknight as well. I think that this is another set of circumstances where I think Orlando ha- already has some of those pieces, and they just needed a guy who could maximize them as a facilitator like Jalen Suggs. Bilal, I think if your point was that he was one of the better passes in the draft, I think you nailed it. I think him and Josh Giddy probably are like the two guys that get most of the most of the counts when you talk about who might be the best facilitator. So to be able to grab him, again, like Josh said, he, Maybe it was just because he fell and they were like, oh, great, this is a perfect situation to be a snag him up. But I think it still works out in their favor. Uh, below, now uh, I'm going to put you on the spot here because, um, again, I, I had to do my research coming into this pod for you guys. But another thing that I was able to find out was that Jai is a Toronto guy, um, big Toronto guy. And I didn't want to give him a chance to grade his own team. I didn't want his bias to ooze out. So I'm going to make Bilal do it. Bilal, how do you feel about Toronto's draft? What would you give them um, as a grade for Toronto's draft? Um, I'm not super sold on it. I would honestly give it a B um, because, uh, like, I, I li- I'm not a huge, crazy fan of Scotty Barnes. I liked him a lot, you know, coming into college. But I didn't see too much. He came off the bench at FSU. You know, like to pass on a guy like Jalen Suggs or Scotty Barnes, it really threw me off. Scotty Barnes, I get it. He can play D, smart. But if I'm drafting at four, I mean, I want somebody can like, you know, really, I need somebody with offense at four. I can always find a role player who can play defense, be a glue guy. I'm not going to draft a glue guy at four. So Scotty Barnes, I mean, I still think he'll be successful on the Raptors, but I would have much rather had Jalen Suggs. So be there. And then the two second-round picks, David Johnson from Louisville, not super high on. Um, I can see why they didn't go with Sharif Cooper because Sharif Cooper went a couple picks later because David Johnson, you know, he fits the Raptors' build a little more. He can guard, he can play defense, bigger, stronger, as opposed to Sharif Cooper, who's kind of thin, not really the defensive guy that the Raptors would take. 
But my guy I actually like from the Raptors, this is probably my favorite pick, is Delano Bantam from Toronto. I've played against him, you know, a couple years ago when I was playing. And um, this dude is smooth. 6'9", can handle the ball, can pass the ball. He's just got such a good feel for this game from Nebraska. He He's like a point forward almost at 6'9", super long, it's like 7-foot wingspan. All right, that's my probably my favorite pick for the Raptors. So, Jar, I do want to get your take a little bit um, on the team in the aspect of Scotty Barnes. I think that's, again, we talked about it earlier on in the podcast. Scotty at four was where everything draft night went to hell. And um, I've heard a lot of different things about Scotty. Uh, some, again, go back to Chad Ford. Some argue he could play point guard for this team. Um, I think that that's an interesting aspect to look at when you talk about the fact that Kyle Lowry is somebody still in question in terms of his future with the Raptors. Um, some argue that this is a very risky pick that might have implications as to what the future of Pascal Siakam is. Um, and he's been a guy that's floated out in draft, uh, in, in terms of trade talks pretty much since their season ended low key. Um, so, like, what is your take, more specifically on the Scotty Barnes pick, just because I think that's the most significant draw for this team, and just, like, how do you feel about him as a prospect, how he fits for your team, what would you have done if you were in the GM mode, like, like what what are your thoughts on your team? Um, honestly, it's quite ironic, because initially, when the Raptors obviously were going to get a lottery pick, I assumed that they would get between 6 and 10. I didn't think they were going to drop all the way to the top 5. But then when they got the fourth pick, obviously, like you mentioned, me being the Zags fan, I was like, oh, crap, we we have a chance of getting Jalen Suggs. Like, how sick would that be? Um, but I'm honestly not as surprised. Like I mentioned before, as some people might have been really surprised. You know, a lot of people in our city are just super surprised. They go, why don't you take Jalen Suggs? Why don't you take Jalen Suggs? I'm like, but I feel like Scotty Barnes in this situation was more of, this was just Masai's guy, right? Because, you know, we talked about Orlando taking Suggs as more of maybe – they didn't expect him to be there, so they just took the best available, even though they're loaded at the point guard position. Rather, the Raptors were more of like, we got the fourth pick, but Scotty Barnes might have always been a guy that intrigued us, and we got the fourth pick. Let's just take the guy that we want to take it for. So that's kind of what I think, because Masai has always been this bold guy, you know, doesn't really care what anyone else thinks. He's just going to do what he does. You know, I'll use the Kawhi trade as an example, right? Some people didn't know that at the time, and Obviously, people who know basketball are like, what the? I'm like, of course this is an amazing trade. Like, why Like, why are you upset about this? So I feel like the Raptors fan base sometimes can get a little annoyed at some things. But as for Scotty Barnes, I mean, 6'9", 227, and you look at what the Raptors have done developing young players, sky's the limit. That's what I have to say. I think for Scotty Barnes, I think only time will tell. But I'm not surprised, and I like it, and I'm excited to see what he's able to do. And I think that's a really level-headed response that I think needs to be kind of praised a little bit because I think that outrage for Scotty Barnes going at far is at four is a little bit over the top. Um, I think that his versatility is something that wasn't expressed or explored, I should say, at Florida State very much, and. Um, I think that that's one of those things where we kind of just need to be careful about judging this pick um, so early because the one thing that stands out to me is that the versatility he has 
is one of those things that I think can definitely be built upon. Um, the other thing is too, man, uh, I'm the, I'm the Bulls fan on the podcast. So we're in a situation where we didn't have a lot of a draft night rumbling, but we just did this with Patrick Williams, right? Same, same exact position, right? Literally talking about the, uh, talking about the wing position taken at four, um, drafted for upside and versatility. And Patrick Williams, although he started out relatively slow, he is, Coming into his own as a little smooth score that definitely is going to be able to play defense at a high level. I think two years from now, he could be, you know, one of those guys that buys for, you know, all defensive second and third teams down the line. And I think Scotty Barnes has an even higher upside as a defensive player than even Patrick Williams had. So I think it's smart to look at it from a very like wide-eyed view and look at the uh, potential he has as opposed to like how he fits right now because um, for people who don't know, Masai Ujiri is like working <laughs> off the clock right now. Essentially, dude doesn't even have a contract right now. So the front office is trying to figure out their philosophy moving forward in general. And I think we should give it some time to kind of develop before we just start go slamming picks, considering we don't really know what Toronto has cooked up. And Masai is no slight sleeper, like I said before. And so I think we need to keep our eye out on the development team because Scotty might go crazy year one. If he doesn't, I expect year two to be a movie. Um, Ryan, uh, coveted closet, uh, Knicks fan on the pod. Um, <laughs> we gotta get into some Knicks. There's no way in the world we can't, right? There's no way. Um, trade in to get Quentin Grimes at the point guard position. Grab a, a guy in Jeremiah Robinson Earl at the four. Um, grab a guy in Jericho Sims, crazy upside hyper athlete out of Texas. Um, what would you grade um the New York Knicks draft? I thought they were really interesting on draft night because they did a lot of a lot of slick stuff that I think uh we kind of need to praise. So I'm going to give the New York Knicks a B minus. I was getting very concerned with the Knicks after they traded away both their 19th and 21st picks, but when I saw what they did with the four picks that they had, I do have some faith that they know what they're doing. I'll say this real quick: I thought Quentin Grimes was a reach. At 25, I definitely thought he was a second-round guy. But he is a high-level shooter and a high-motor defender. I hope this is a decision that New York won't regret, considering that Nashawn Highland went at 26 after that and Cam Thomas went at 27. So I think they have to have a lot of faith in Quentin Grimes to go over guys like Bones Highland and Cam Thomas. They also selected Rokas Jacobetas, who I think is a very interesting international prospect, Miles McBride, I thought was the winner in this one because you get one of the best perimeter defenders in the draft. He's also a solid scorer. So I thought this was an excellent selection for the Knicks having McBride fall to them at 36. And then Jericho Sims, I think is another interesting prospect. I think he'll mainly just boost up the Knicks front court depth. Also kind of depending on what happens with guys like Taj Gibson and Narlon's Noel. So he could be a guy that ends up coming off the bench being part of that second unit. So I'm very interested to see how these picks will pan out in New York, but Miles McBride was a steal for sure. Yeah, and I think that's an interesting one because, of course, uh, I I forgot to mention when talking about the Jeremiah Robinson Earl pick that that was one that was traded to the Thunder. Um, So in exchange, being able to make that play for Miles McBride, I think was huge because out of everybody the Knicks picked, he's the most Tom Thibodeau guy, I think. 
if you really think about like his overall positioning, the fact that you know that he's going to play defense. Um, this draft screamed Tom Thibodeau though also because they didn't grab anybody that has like this crazy like freshman upside where you're like, okay, young guy could, could blossom into something crazy. No, they got guys who know exactly who they are. <laughs> Jericho Sims is an above the rim athlete that they're going to use as a lob threat. Um, I think that when you talk about Quentin Grimes, he's a guy who's going to be a secondary ball handler coming off the bench, should be able to play a solid amount of point guard, um, should be really interesting next to a guy like Emmanuel quickly in terms of opening up uh, opportunities for him. Miles um, McBride's going to lock down on defense um, and be a guy who can also create his own shot, which I think will be interesting um, in MSG too, because I think on the second unit, he, he could probably kill a little. So, I think New York, I think New York had a sleepy, uh, a sleepy good draft because I think people are going to look at the names and be like, oh, okay, I, I guess. And you moved off of 19 and 21, like Ryan said, where like the interest, interesting names that got taken, Kai Jones and Keon Johnson, like, oh man, you're going to let them slide over to teams like Charlotte and, and LAC. But I think New York, I think for who they are, for who the city is, uh, for, uh, what the city is like and what they, Expect going to next season, especially because they have crazy cap space. I think this team played to their strengths, and I think that was a, an interesting way to go about the draft because, you know, the Knicks love star names. So to stay away from the high upside star names and go with some bona fide guys who are kind of like locked into what their positions are, I think was really interesting, actually. Um, I, I decided to pick my own form of bias here. I, I, I sprinkled the, pro, uh, the, the bias around throughout the podcast panel, and um, I went with the Atlanta Hawks on this one. Um, as, as an ATL kid, um, this, this was an interesting draft for me because I really was confused about what we needed, um, going into this offseason, coming off of our little, like, miraculous run, um, to the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, and I think that these are two guys in Sharif Cooper and Jalen Johnson that honestly address our team's need in an interesting way. Uh, Lou Williams is not going to be here forever. And uh, Sharif Cooper is a talented facilitator, if not a really high-volume score. That should be interesting on the second unit as well. I think his facilitating ability is something that makes it where we don't have to be concerned about playmaking when Trey Young goes off the floor. Something that has been murdering us for pretty much the entire three seasons that Trey Young has been around. So I think that Sharif Cooper is a really interesting pick to be able to get him in the second round. I was surprised he fell past the Rockets picks. I, I, I pretty much had him pegged in in that situation where I thought the Rockets pick, the two Rockets picks were uh, back to back were going to be the, the, the lock in for them, for him. Um, Jalen Johnson, I think that was a flyer mile pick with them too that I think will be really interesting. Six nine, um, getting a lot of Ben Simmons comps. Um, I, so I, I don't know how to take that just yet <laughs> because of the fact that we, you know, Ben Simmons is a, a huge name on the trade block right now. But I think that in Atlanta where he's going to have the chance to kind of grow, be in a situation next to a lot of ball handling guys and facilitators, that he'll be a, a really interesting guy for this team. And we've got crazy wing depth already, you know, talking about DeAndre Hunter, talking about Cam Johnson, uh, um, um, uh, talking about, um, a guy and, um, Cam Reddish, uh, excuse me. But I think that Jalen Johnson gives a certain level of uh versatility that I don't think we have on this team yet. So it'll be interesting to see uh what happens with him and his development. Um so guys, we're gonna pretty much rapid fire through the back half of this podcast because these trades, I think there's only one that really is eye popping in terms of draft day trades that took place. So uh John, we'll kind of just 
uh, start with you and get a kind of quick gauge of the room with all of these. Uh, grade the Ricky Rubio to Cleveland Cavaliers trade. This one was not anything super crazy. Cavs get a backup point guard, which I think is huge. But um, how do you feel about it? It's pretty much an exchange for Torian Prince. Yeah, basically. I think my first um, initial thought was strange because, like we mentioned, we talked about the Cavs earlier and how they already got, you know, Sexton and Garland. And, you know, they got point guards. And now you add Ricky Rubio, I think. Sure, you know, that could be a nice veteran presence for some of them, but I just don't see, you know, a lot of room for Ricky Rubio to succeed. I think he's honestly one of the more maybe underrated guards in the league that could maybe fit another team that could use it a lot better. So I don't know if the Cavs are just using him as, you know, maybe another piece to move later, or maybe they are going to keep him as a veteran presence. Who knows? Um, I like Ricky Rubio, so I think that's a nice move there. Um, as for moving Tori and Prince to Minnesota, um, I guess, you know, like we talked about the T-Wolves earlier, you know, it's kind of just hit or miss for them. Um, overall, I'd, I'd probably grade it a C if I had to give it a grade. Okay. Below, how about you? What would you give it as a grade? I think the interesting aspect of this, we talked about the Wolves not having a pick in this year's draft. They obviously in this trade got a 22, 20, uh, 2022 second round pick, um, which I think might be the, the, the one big caveat here in terms of maybe looking at the Wolves. What would you grade, uh, this trade overall? I, I, I'd, I'd go with J here. Um, I'd go C. It, it doesn't really make sense. Like, I mean, I get, you get a, Second round pick next year. That was fine. Get rid of Rubio. I heard. In terms of Cleveland, I think Rubio is just there to mentor, you know, Sexton and Garland and show them what a bet does. Um, nothing too special. I don't think he's going to play a whole ton. Torian Prince, same deal. I don't know what's going to go on in Minnesota with him. I think Minnesota just wanted to get, you know, just get younger and hopefully that second round pick, save some cap and get a little bit younger. Makes a lot of sense. Ryan, are we going to make it three for three in terms of the uh, handing out a C from the panel? I, I think that this trade was one that wasn't too crazy, but could be interesting depending on if you're a fan of one of these teams. I'm actually going to go against the panel. I'm going to give them a B minus, actually. I think the winner in this trade would be the Cavaliers simply because they need a, they need depth in that point guard position. And I, I have to agree with Jay. I think Ricky Rubio has slowly but surely become an underrated point guard, especially as a guy that can give you scoring coming off the bench as a rotational guy. I think it will be interesting to see what Torrey and Prince's fit is on Minnesota, considering that this team in Minnesota is a rebuilding team, and I'm not sure how Torian Prince will fit on this team. I think he could be used as a trade piece. I also think Ricky Rubio could also be used as a trade piece. But I think for now, I think Cleveland wins this trade simply because they get an experienced guy who can help Colin Sexton and Darius Garland. So I think for those reasons, I would have, I would have to say B-. minus. I tend to agree with you guys in terms of it being in the C range. I think it's an interesting move. Nothing too too crazy. I think both teams move relatively lateral in terms of this one. Nothing um, that jumps off the page. Let's move to uh, Boston with Josh Richardson. Um, Ian Evans, who uh, we had on for the Boston Celtics uh, portion of the Wheel of Fandom series we have rolling, said that Josh Richardson was actually one of the three guys he wanted to target this offseason, and they were able to make that move way quicker than I think maybe he anticipated. Um, and all they had to do was use their trade exception that they were able to acquire from moving Gordon Hayward 
um, a season or two, um, move, um, moving for moving Gordon Hayward a season or two ago, and uh, along with Moses Brown, who's a guy who I don't even know was going to be able to get any playing time on this team to begin with. So, Ryan, I'll actually start with you on this one. Uh, how would you grade um, this trade, uh, whether it's from Boston's side or just overall as a transaction? I think this is an A. I think that Josh Richardson fits what the Celtics need. They need a solid 3 and D guy. And he wasn't that guy in Dallas. Now he has a chance to prove that he could be that guy in Boston. So I think it will be a great fit. Uh, Bilal, Celtics fan on the pod and talking about um, this kind of exchange. Uh, how, how would you grade this exchange um, from, from Boston's standpoint? I'll give it up. Um, I'm not too sold on Josh Richardson. Uh, he hasn't really had a good season in a few years now. I like him a lot in Miami. But he was playing a lot more on ball in that role. Philly and Dallas kind of misused him a little bit. And, but I think Brad is trying to get longer and more athletic and get back to playing top five defense. So I like it from that sense. Okay, Jai, how about you, my man? Because I think that this is an interesting trade. Uh, I think if you look at it from the Dallas perspective, too, yeah, you get a guy like Moses Brown at the center position, which helps them out because that's one position that, you know, I feel like they can kind of sift through when you talk about having a guy like Luca on the team. I don't think they have to worry too much about investing crazy money in the center position. But the money that they uh, acquire via trade exception in this is huge because Dallas is going to be a team that's going to be a major player in this free agency market. So how would you grade um, this overall transaction? Yeah, no, honestly, I don't know too much about either one. Um, I think Ryan put a good point on that. I think Josh Richardson, you know, was a good fit for Boston. I don't know a ton about Moses Brown. Um, I'd probably give it maybe a, a B or so. But honestly, I, if I knew more about the two, I'd probably get even more in-depth answer on that one. But I honestly don't know a ton about the two. Yeah, I think that this trade is uh, tricky depending on who you are. I think Bilal said it best that I think Brad Stevens is trying to make this team uh, uh, a lot more athletic, a lot more rangy, play to the strengths of some of the uh, the wing guys that they have, talking about Tatum and Brown. Obviously, I think Marcus Smart is another guy that's going to be really interesting in this rotation because I think that if Josh Richardson can get the three ball back, um, something we didn't see a lot last season. Granted, he was dealing with COVID and he was playing next to a ball, uh, a ball, he- a heavy uh, guy in Luka Doncic. So things might be a little bit different in this system, depending on how things go. But I think if they can get like what we saw of Josh Richardson in Miami, he's a perfect fit for this team. Uh, so you're banking on that. You're banking on Dallas, the, the Dallas season being an admiration. And you're, you're looking at, you know, also you can talk about his year with his, his years with the 76ers, but I think he, I think in both situations, he wasn't asked to, he was, or actually, I think in both situations, he was asked to do a lot more than I think he is used to. Um, and I think in Boston, he might actually have a, a I guess, a quote-unquote dumbed-down role. And I think that'll give him a chance to just be a 3 and D guy. And I think he'll be able to thrive in that, um, especially considering the personnel they have around him. Um, and then, obviously, the big trade, biggest trade, still the biggest trade <laughs> today, uh, to the date, is uh, Russell Westbrook to the Lakers. Um, I have mixed emotions about this uh, this trade overall, but essentially uh, the Washington Wizards uh, send 
Russell Westbrook, a 2024 second-round pick, a 2028 second-round pick over to Los Angeles for Kyle Kuzma, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Montrezl Harrell, and uh, the 22nd pick, which they ended up moving and grabbing up Aaron Holiday uh, via the Pacers. Bilal, I'm actually going to start with you on this one. How would you grade uh, the Westbrook trade? This was definitely the one that took over the Internet. Yeah, no, I'm not a huge Westbrook guy. Um, so uh, I'm going to – I'm going to give it a B. Um, I can see it going both ways. I like Westbrook for the fact that during the regular season, he's going to give LeBron rest, give AD rest. He's going to be on ball. And they're still going to win games. But just down the stretch, I don't think there's enough shooting around him, and I don't trust him late game at all. Um, so it's going to be a tale of two seasons for me. So I think it'll work out in the regular season. But in the playoffs, you know, hopefully it don't work. <laughs> Jared, how do you feel about it, bro? Because I, I have a pretty strong opinion about it. Um, I vocalized this a little bit on the Impact podcast when we talked about um, this trade because the fit aspect of this doesn't make sense to me. Um, there's a lot of things about this trade that are really perplexing, I think is the best word I can use. Um, the team needs shooting. Russell Westbrook isn't that. Um, there was a trade on the books for Buddy Heald where you wouldn't have had to give up KCP or the sec, the, 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 the 2020, uh, the, uh, the 2020, uh, late first round pick, uh, the 22. They could have gotten Buddy Heald and still had assets to make further moves, talking about KCP and that draft pick. You're tied up crazy in the luxury tax now. Russell Westbrook is actually their highest-paid player, which I thought was an interesting thing I found out the other day as well. So how do you feel about the trade? Because, honestly, it's a head-scratcher. It seems like an L.A. move from, like, a glitz and glamour standpoint. But from a basketball fit standpoint, I'm not so sure. Nah, you're, you're, you're bang on with that in the sense that, yeah, it didn't really make sense in that way. And I think you're just bang on with the whole glitz and glamour thing. Cause yeah, you, you know, you look at a guy like Buddy Heald, which I loved him at Oklahoma coming out. Obviously, I think being on a team like Sacramento, like I mentioned earlier, you know, it's, you know, if you go to Sacramento, unfortunately, it's not very good for your career. And I think that's kind of what it's been for Buddy Heald so far. But if, if he were to went to LA, I think he would have had, a little more room to grow a little bit and get back into more of his Oklahoma self. So that's unfortunate for him that that didn't work out. But it's funny because a lot of the Lakers and a lot of the Laker families have been, you know, they want to get a new point guard, right? Dennis Schroeder didn't work out for them. They wanted to get a new point guard. And it's funny, I heard a lot of rumbles about possibly Chris Paul reuniting with LeBron, right? Well, although they never played together, this would have been the first time they would have played together. Possibly Kyle Lowry, who's also on the market as well. Two guys who are, you know, two of the best point guards have been two of the best point guards for the past, you know, X amount of years. So this is a little bit of a head scratcher in the sense that Russell Westbrook, sure, great athlete. You know, I, I don't hate Westbrook. I don't love him. I'm kind mm-hmm. of in the middle towards it, but I also just hate super teams. So in that <laughs> case, I hate this trade. It just, it's just, again, I just, I don't know what kind of value it truly adds to the Lakers. I think both of you guys hit on it perfectly. In the playoffs, how is this going to work? And especially with AD, can he stay healthy? Russell Westbrook doesn't necessarily have the best, you know, in terms of health as well. Sometimes he can be kind of injury prone too. Definitely not as much as AD. I just don't know how this is going to work. I don't like it. I've always been a LeBron fan, but in this case, I hope the Lakers do not win a championship. (laughs) 
Oh man, Ryan, any further thoughts? I'm gonna let you be the closer on this one. I thought I think that those are all interesting points because I think that the Lakers, I don't know, man. Look, I'm gonna take a, a step back and let this play out because Rob Palenka um has proved that he can actually GM. Um we saw that when everything blew up with Kawhi Leonard, a lot of us anticipated that this team was gonna get bad really quick because they were waiting on Kawhi Leonard so long that the free agent market was was drying up quickly. And he was able to make, you know, lemonade out of lemons, grabbing guys like Danny Green and um, you know, making a play, being able to keep a guy like Alex Caruso um happy in terms of, you know, I'm sure that he's gonna be a guy who um has been talked up over the last year or two in terms of getting, you know, an extension um because he's a pending free agent as well. So I, I think that, you know, I'm gonna give Rob a chance to kind of build out the rest of this roster that uh before I really judge things in its entirety. But in terms of just the big three itself, it, it sounds nice in two K, but I'm just not so sure. But Ryan, how do you feel? I'm gonna give this a C plus. And I'll look at it from the Wizards side first because I think the Wizards definitely got some good players. Kyle Kuzma needed to change the scenery. I think if Kyle Kuzma is able to flourish in Washington, it only furthers the narrative that young Lakers who struggled in Los Angeles do better on other teams. The examples are there. Julius Randle, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, D'Angelo Russell. The examples are there, like I said. Montrezl Harrell, I think he'll provide to the depth, the front court depth in Washington, and I think he can kind of find himself the six-man-of-the-year candidate, six-man-of-the-year winner that he once was. I think he'll be able to find find himself again in Washington. And KCP will just add to the guard depth, and he, he's able to knock down threes, so I think that's fine. Looking at it from the Lakers' perspective, I don't know about you guys, but I think the Lakers traded for the wrong wizard. I think Bradley Beal should have been traded to the Los Angeles Lakers. I think he fits better around LeBron and Anthony Davis. Here's the thing with Russell Westbrook. I like Russell as a player, but the fit is terrible. Because (laughs) I think Bilal said it earlier, in the playoffs, it's going to be a mess. In the regular season, they're going to do great. But in the playoffs, it's going to be a mess. because. Russell Westbrook is a guy that wants the ball, and he's going to be surrounded by two other guys who want the ball in LeBron James and Anthony Davis. This is not going to work. Russell Westbrook also is not that great of a shooter, which is why I thought Bradley Beal should have been on the other end of this trade instead of Russell Westbrook. And then Jalen touched on earlier, the contract situation. They do not have any other assets to work with. And I think if they had traded for Buddy Heal, yes, they would have had to give up. They they would have given up less, which would have enabled them to make another trade happen. But you've given up a lot of assets already, and you've taken on a contract that's more than LeBron's and more than Anthony Davis's. So, yeah, th- this is this is not that great of a move. Yeah, you can tell that this was a, a point guard situation where they they had the writing on the wall that said there's no way they have the money to covet a guy like Kyle Lowry, and there was no way in the world they were going to be able to pull off a sign-and-trade for Chris Paul with Phoenix. And those, those those were literally the only ways they were going to be able to acquire some of these big-name guys that they had in the mix. Now you're, now we've got 
DeMar DeRozan floated out there is taking a serious pay cut. He falls into the same category of it doesn't add to your spacing at all. Um, Carmelo Anthony has been mentioned recently. They want this banana boat thing to happen so bad. I think we're just putting, I think we're just giving the Photoshop guys as much work as they can handle in terms of putting these guys in Lakers jerseys. Um, I think the Russ situation just goes to show you the point guard class for free agency is so lit. It's so lit because they're, they're going to command a lot of money. It's deep. Um, even the, 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 the sign and trade market is going to be really interesting over the next couple of days. Cause I could see that being a big way of how these guys get facilitated around. Cause there's not a lot of money out there besides a couple of teams. So it's going to be interesting to see how that goes. Um, from the Wizards perspective, uh, I have heard little things about using this trade as a way to facilitate a Spencer Dinwiddie sign and trade. I think that that's kind of interesting. If that's something they can make a play at. Um, my friend Ashton is not a huge fan of Spencer Dinwiddie on this team. Um, he's not really a big, uh, facilitator. Um, talking about Dinwiddie, he's more of like a score first guy. Um, and he's coming off of ACL, which <laughs> brings skepticism, but uh, I think that that would be an interesting setup as well, especially because we were able to grab, uh, talking about the Wizards were grabbing, Aaron, grabbed Aaron Holiday, um, on draft night via trade. So I think it'll sure up their guard position. We'll see how all this plays out. I think for the Wizards and for the Lakers, it's going to take uh, a little bit of free agency to pass by to really grade these moves. But, um, we'll see, man, because fit wise on paper, this, this whole trade looks, looks crazy. So. We'll have to see. But, um, guys, that's pretty much uh, the rundown for the pod. Um, I pretty much want to give the last words to you guys. Um, Ball Island, I really appreciate you guys for coming on to the pod. Really glad to have you guys on. Definitely want to have you guys on um, again and more frequently down the line because you guys – you guys are a great listen. Um, for guys who have not listened to them yet, I'm going to give them the floor to plug their pod. But um, solid talking about the NBA draft, and they have way more content than just the draft coming up for sure. But I'll let them speak on that. So, guys, the floor is yours. Uh, thanks a lot. First of all, just thanks a lot for having us on, man. You guys were great. This whole episode, your guys' pod's fantastic. We got to have you guys on uh, the island. You know, there's plenty. I mean, last time we were on, we were saying – Oh, the NBA draft, you know, here it is. I guess it's going to be our last basketball podcast for a while. But then we're like, oh, free agency starts next week. So we'll have a lot more basketball, um, you know, coming our way. And obviously NFL season's coming up sooner or later. So, um, you know, we'll have a lot of NFL stuff as well. I mean, give us a follow on Instagram and, and Twitter at Baller Island. Um, but, yeah, give us a follow with that. And, you know, once again, just thanks a lot for having us on, guys. It was honestly a great time. And be any thoughts? Nah, man, just appreciate it. appreciate you guys having us on. It was a lot of fun. You guys know your stuff, man. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, so, Ryan, uh, carry us out of here, man. Solid podcast all around. Definitely fun talking about the draft, talking about some of these trades. Um, free agency starts now, bro. So I think that the content across the board, if you're in this basketball space, things are about to get even crazier. If you thought the playoffs were nuts, Give it a couple of days. Some of these contracts are surely it can get your podcast go viral soon. So, uh, Ryan, uh, take us out of here, man. Yeah. So we want to thank our guests, Bilal and Jay from the Baller Island podcast for talking some NBA basketball with us today and transitioning to our question of the day for our fans. 
how do you feel about Russell Westbrook's move to Los Angeles? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We will see you guys next episode. Peace.